banks have this really strange uh, strategy that's available to them called fractional reserve banking. And then the long and short of it is you put $1 into a savings account or into a checking account and the bank can magically turn around and lend out $10 tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the window of the popular Chic Compass magazine, where we feature art, music, design, fashion, dining, and all things chic for the culture-starved audiences of the world. To view our magazine online, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. I'm your host, Jamie Hosmer. Let's introduce today's guest. Joe Pantozzi is the CEO and founder of Alpha Omega Wealth, a financial professionals firm in Las Vegas, Nevada. Joe first entered the field of financial preparation and management in 1976. Since then, he's worked with countless individuals and families to help them unlock the keys to their own prosperity by building their wealth without Wall Street. Joe's advice is based on more than just his decades of experience. His suggestions are based on thorough, timely, and vetted research to ensure that when you work with Joe, you're putting money back into your pockets and not the pockets of bankers or lenders. Joe Pantozzi, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's nice nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is fantastic. Um, so... I understand you're from New Jersey. I am from New Jersey. Now, what, yes. Wh- which part? Jersey City, affectionately known as the armpit. <laughs> so, all right, before we get into, this is a, a little bit of a left turn from our Chic Compass Connection podcast, because normally I'm, I'm, I'm having conversations with musicians, um, artists, uh, fa- yeah. fashion designers, people, right. uh, you know, people in that, in that field, right. In the creative Interesting field. people. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. no, but here's what's, <laughs> here's why this makes perfect sense because those of us in the musical field, entertainers, artists are some of the notoriously worse people for managing their money. Right. So we all really need people like you that know how to manage money. So it's actually, the more I thought about it, it's kind of the perfect episode for Sheet Compass Connection, right? There you go. So growing up, all right, before we get into money, I'm talking about finances, growing up in New Jersey, tell me what that was like. Well, I, I hardly know because I wasn't there very long. I, I moved out to Las Vegas when I was 23 and, and I, I you know, was raised by a, kind of a typical Italian uh, Catholic family, mom and dad, four kids, two boys, two girls. And um, and here's here's my financial background. When I was 10 years old, my brother joined a a bank in Jersey City called the Provident Savings Bank. So he joined them as a teller when he was 18. And 50 short years later, he retired as president, chairman, and CEO of the same bank. Oh my goodness! Oh so my I go- had I had this background of of my brother being uh, an up an up and coming manager in a banking uh, institution, and I always had nothing but respect 
for banks mm-hmm. because I mean they look like penitentiaries or they look like churches or the, they look like the you know they look like the Pentagon they were they were gigantic they were stone and, <laughs> and glass and metal they were be- they were beautiful and when you walked into a bank you had to be quiet you know they had a they had a security guard there <laughs> and it was all very <laughs> austere and very 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 professional uh, and, and very hush hush but that's what I grew up you know with with the impression of of banks being a place that would take care of your money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now here I am all these years later and and I've come to know a gentleman named Nelson Nash who mentored me starting about 20 years ago. And and now I teach people how banks actually make money. And it isn't what you would think. So mm. we we learn that banks are actually for-profit institutions they're not at all like churches mm. you know they're not like they're not like nonprofits right so they they solicit us to bring them our money and then they they tell us that it'll be safe it'll be liquid and you'll get a rate of return and maybe you'll get a, a toaster along the way or something and and then we don't realize how much stinking money banks are making mm. by taking our little deposits and turning them around and lending them and I hate to say it this way, lending our money to rich people. Hmm. Now, is that so, uh, the little the little that I know about banking? Um, is is some of the problem due to the the fractional reserve banking, the fact that they can lend more than they actually have? Yeah, that adds to the greed factor. So you would think that there would be a lot of stability in an institution that enjoys um, FDIC, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yep. so you could have a quarter million dollars worth of protection, so to speak, for every account that you have, assuming it's it's in the same bank or different banks. Um, but also banks have this really strange uh, strategy that's available to them called fractional reserve banking. And then the long and short of it is you put one dollar into a savings account or into a checking account. And the bank can magically turn around and lend out ten dollars tomorrow. <laughs> that that seems like something that shouldn't be legal. It, it it should not be legal, and unfortunately, it happens in every civilized country. Wow! If you want to call it, if you want to call it civilized, and and I was just on the on the phone with a client this morning, and I was explaining this this situation to him, and I said, so the banks are overseen by the Federal Reserve Bank. Now, the Federal Reserve is not federal because it's not a federal agency. It's a private cartel. Mm-hmm. Um, it has no reserves because it's upside down. It only has about 1% of all, the, of all the money that it's supposed to cover in insurance. And ah. it's not a bank. Ah. So, so the, the $10 that just was created by the $1 is literally yeah. just basically created out of nothing created exactly out of nothing and there's a great paper that i share with clients it was written by a gentleman named murray rothbard and he was an an austrian economist and he was a phd economist he came out of out of uh, chicago but he he completed his tenure and he actually um, served his last tenure at unlv here in las vegas oh wow and, and he describes fractional reserve banking as creating money out of thin air. 
Wow. And so if you know that that's what's happening, you'd be really shocked to find out that with all these benefits and advantages, superior advantages, why did we have 500 plus banks fail during the century in which we live right now? Right. That's a very well, good it's question. because they get greedy. Yep. Right? Yep. So, okay. Um, all right. So, to circle back, your brother starts as a teller at this bank, and then 50 years later, he retires. He's the president of that bank. At, yeah. The same branch? It, same. The same uh, bank system with about 50 or 60 branches. Okay. That's amazing. So, okay. Yeah. Tell me, at what point... Did you when, you, when you learned about the banking system that, that we're in, in our society, mm -hmm. when did you realize, okay, I got to figure out a way to get people out of this system or do something different? Right, right. So, so literally in, in 2001, Nelson Nash came out with a book called Becoming Your Own Banker. And I met him shortly thereafter. And um, he was already a middle-aged gentleman, to put it mildly, and and he mentored me for the the next twenty years. Wow! So he just he just passed away in uh, in two thousand nineteen at the age of eighty eight. But wow. I learned things from him that I had not learned in the previous twenty five years of being a financial professional. Okay. So um, we we find out that banks do things with money that are exactly the opposite of what they teach people to do. So, mm. for example, they teach us to use um, and to seek compound interest. Right. And, and as we, as most of us know, compound interest is just earning interest on your interest. Yeah. But in order for that to happen, your money has to stay in one place. Okay. And so compound interest only works if your money stays in one place. But there are no commercial entities, no for-profit entities in this country that make a profit by employing compound interest. Hmm. So what really happens is they're teaching us compound interest so that we will give them our money. Got it. And now they take our money and they employ something completely opposite called velocity, which is not keeping the money static, but keeping the money in motion. Okay. So what I do is I teach my clients to keep money in motion. And it's up to my client whether they want to invest their money in their own business or invest their money in a portfolio of real estate that's cash flowing, rental real estate, et cetera. Or if they want to put some money in the stock market, it's up to the client to determine the type of asset that they want to hold. But the idea is if you want to build wealth, you need to be involved in, in a cash flowing asset not in just piling up greenbacks. Okay. Because okay. nobody ever got rich, nobody ever became wealthy by piling up dollars. Right. Right. Okay. So there is there's one of the foundational tools that we teach people is is do you know how money works? Are you aware of how banks um, work with money and how they make profits? Are you aware of what um, the compound interest is? And, and do you realize that it doesn't work for creating wealth? Well, what are some of the things that, that these companies do? Well, and then we go into the details okay. of, of creating velocity. And, I, and another one of the foundational tenets that I share with my client is that I'm going to pour into you 
resources, mm. white papers, books, audio books, um, websites, uh, the, the YouTube uh, videos that we create. We do client in-person seminars. We do webinars. Um, I will work with people as as often, as frequently, and, and as, as deeply as they want because I think one of the great uh, hindrances to people passing wealth down to their kids is not that they don't have some money. It's not that they hate their children. It's that they're afraid that their children don't know how to manage money. Mm. Well, that that's happened time time and time and again through history, right? Where where a, a wealthy family uh, passes it down, and by the second or third generation, all the money's gone. I think that's happened. Uh, it happens every single day, right? Every right. single day. Would you recommend that people read this Nelson Nelson Nash book, uh, Becoming Absol- Your Own Absolutely. Banker? Absolutely. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, I noticed that you have several different titles here. Maybe you can shine a light for me on on what this means because they they seem like they're pretty big titles. Um, one of them is chartered financial consultant, right? Uh, chartered life underwriter, uh, of course, financial advisor. Um, mm-hmm. So, how are so, some of these titles? What do some of these titles really mean? Well, there there are two aspects to my business, really two two parts, and one is the protection part of the business. So be, before people get involved in 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 buying into certain kinds of assets or investments, they really need to be concerned about protection. So if you drive a car, you need to have car insurance, which includes liability, right? If you own a business. You need to be concerned about being sued. So you need to protect yourself. Liability is a big thing. Okay. But but think about the most basic um, asset that almost every person has, which is the ability to earn money through their own career, their mm-hmm. own profession. So if somebody becomes sick or hurt, they lose their biggest asset. It's not your house. It's It's your earning ability, which is way bigger. Than your house, mm-hmm. so we want to make sure that that people's lives are protected and their earning ability is protected. Their family, their kids, their heirs, their their next generations, uh, maybe their elderly parents if they're dependent on them, are are protected. Uh, we want to make sure that their the proper wills and trusts are created and maintained. That's <laughs> created and maintained. Yeah. Right, and so I I ask my clients if they have an attorney. If they don't have one, then I'll I'll recommend them because I I have contacts and professional advisors that I work with all over the country. Okay, and so you have to have all these pieces put together to protect your life, and then you can start building up what we call investments. And so the other side of the house is is helping our clients with uh, managed money. So our clients are, are free to go to you know, any of these institutions. You can go to Schwab and open up an account and put $1,000 in it, and you can, you can lose money as fast as the next guy. <laughs> um, but, but we believe, and we know from the data, that the average American is earning about 2.5%. That's before inflation. 2.5% is the average rate of return for someone who invests in the stock market without guidance. Mm. Okay. And um, I think it was Vanguard who, that's who did the study. That's not too good. That's not very good. It's not very good. 
especially when the average stock market return in the last 20 years has been above seven or eight percent. Right. And so so we believe that you you literally do need a guide. You need a mentor, a coach. Sure. Sure. But I don't want my clients to just come into my, my office and sit down and hand me their money and say, OK, Joe, I trust you. Um, make sure you don't lose my money. And, and the way we go. No, I, I want to teach my clients. Um, yeah. The, the basics of financial management. That's why I refer to myself as an economist. Right. I spend more time studying money and the history of money. Uh, than I do advising clients almost. Wow. So you, and, and, and plus, it seems like you take a creative approach toward each individual client. You're not, uh, it's not a one size fits all, right? You're going to look at, you know, each individual's needs, uh, how, how, you know, how aggressive do they want to be? How conservative do they want to be? And what other factors go into uh, your approach? Well, like I said, you want to have balance. You want to talk about protection. You want to protect your entire family, your entire estate. You want to protect your legacy, mm. right? And and you want to talk to your kids about the reasons to own wealth, the, the reasons to be wealthy. And I know there's a lot of negative talk in our country today against, quote unquote, rich people. Mm-hmm. But if you walk into a department store, uh, that department store is probably not owned by poor people. It's owned by rich people. Mm-hmm. That's right? true. And That's a lot true. of those people, the vast majority of those people, became wealthy the same way that that people who who pick themselves up by their bootstraps and they start out in this country from another country with twenty five dollars in their pocket and they build a gigantic corporation. Right. 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 And so there's this big boogeyman out there about rich people. Uh-huh. Well, the rich people are, are who built the country. Mm-hmm. But what I want to teach my my families is that my definition of of capital is the ability to do good. Mm-hmm. And I personally, this is my bias and this is who I am. And if people don't want to work with me, it's perfectly fine. But my bias is I want to help people become wealthy so that they could give more. Yeah. Because we have so many needs. You can throw a rock in any direction, hit somebody who has a need, yeah. right? It's in our families, in our churches, it's in our local streets, our communities, our state, our other countries. There's millions and millions of people in this world who need help. That's true. Right? Yep. And and so I don't want to, and, and pardon the expression, I, I don't want to create a bunch of Paris Hiltons. Sure. I don't want to create money just to pass it down and let our kids go crazy and never have to work a day in their life. Actually, I want to give my kids the freedom so that they can work in any field that they want to, but they won't have to worry about paying tuition back because that'll be covered. Yeah. Right? So what if you wanted to to go and be a missionary in, in some foreign country? Well, I want to be able to support you in, in, the, in that quest. Right. What if what if you want to you know work work as a teacher when where you will never become wealthy? Well, maybe you could work your your day job as a teacher, but you could also work as the trustee amount my foundation, and you could look for worthy causes and worthy individuals, worthy families, who would really do well by getting a hand up. And what if you could help someone go to medical school? Yeah, I mean. Wouldn't wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, I mean, I mean it really. There's a lot of people that I know that don't have a lot of money, but they're huge givers. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And you're talking about really giving someone the opportunity to really follow their dreams, 
follow their passions, whatever that may be, whether or not uh, that means they're going to earn money from it. Right. 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 But but having the ability to do that, uh, that boy, that's an amazing gift to give somebody to have. So so one of the things I like to do is is kind of blend together uh, the ideas that we've been talking about and blending together um, the, the the tools and the techniques of wealth and blend that together with the the fabric of the family. You know, one of my other mentors said to me that the most powerful financial tool on the face of the earth is a strong and loving family. Hmm. It's it's not some mutual fund or some insurance policy or some gold mine or or some cryptocurrency. It's 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 the very it's the very fact of our own existence and the way we were created is to engage with other people. Right. It's to is it's to first be 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 caring and loving for your own family. Mm-hmm. So the, our our first interest should be in promoting our own family. And taking care of our own family and then, you know, looking in the people in the community and treating them like family. Right. Right. We have all these all these um, problems with 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 hate groups and hate speech and mm-hmm. and cancel culture and all this stuff. And you know what? The, the problem is um, people aren't looking at somebody else as their equal and saying, what if I really wanted to help that person? I wouldn't care about what religion they were, what what color they were, uh, where they grew up. Um, wh- what if we went back to the old days where people lived in neighborhoods, right? And they actually knew their neighbors and cared about their neighbors, looked out for one another. Well, yeah, you know, and, I know um, that's a. That's I know a, this is all very corny. No, and it shouldn't a, come out of the mouth of a financial planner. It's a but, beautiful sentiment. But like I said, my whole my whole premise is. Capital is the ability to do good. And the more capital you have, the more good you can do. No, I, so, I agree with you 100%. I, I think what you're saying is incredibly important and, uh, and relevant in today's society. Because if everybody looked at everybody else the way you just said, with a sense of community, and uh, no, I, I'm, I'm going to treat you like you were a part of my family. If we all looked at each other like that, there'd be a heck of a lot less problems in the world. Right, right. You know? Right. So I understand what you're saying about the strength of family mm-hmm. is, is worth more than anything. So here's a really practical example. Uh, the Rothschild family uh-huh. was arguably, uh, maybe besides Solomon, which I can't really verify what his net worth was, but <laughs> the Bible says he was the richest person who ever lived. Okay. And I let, let's just set him aside because he was many, many years ago. The Rothschild family, um, I believe, was started in the 1600s and is still um, a very vital and powerful and wealthy family today. Hmm. And they live in many, many countries. And no one knows what their worth is, but it's specula- speculated, uh, speculated, yeah, that that their net worth is above half a trillion dollars. Wow. And we don't really know. Wow. Because they're a private organization, aren't mm-hmm. they? Right. 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 But the whole idea of the Rothschilds was to was to um, use the concept of family and um, and the Rothschild patriarch 
sent his sons into three different countries. And he says, we're going to set up banking systems in these countries, and we're going to finance everything that they do. Yeah. Wow. Right? Now, I'm not here to pass judgment on whether their character was pristine, because nobody's perfect, <laughs> and whether they didn't finance wars, which I know that they did, mm-hmm. right? But their whole purpose was to promote themselves, number one, and, and, um, and number two, to create generational wealth. Right. Now, what they did with the wealth, whether they've done good over these centuries, is really between themselves and their conscience. Yeah. But you've got to start somewhere. And, and when I get these beautiful young people who come to me and say, well, listen, I don't really care about money. Money is not important to me. Well, you need money to put gas in your car. And in yeah. Las Vegas, it's about $3.80 a gallon yeah. right now. And you need money to buy that car. And you need money to buy that guitar. And you need money to make that trip, even if you make a trip once every, every year. Right. Go to the beach, go to the mountains, do whatever you want to do. Um, you want to go to a concert? It takes money. Right. It takes money to live. Yep. And, and so the, the first hurdle we have to get over is making sure that, that the people that we care about around us uh, can do more than survive. Right. 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 Because that's a big, I mean, that's a big hurdle for a lot of people. Some people are just trying to survive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, once you get over that hurdle and there's a little sense of, uh, you know, lack of anxiety about being able to pay your bills, um, then you can start to think about some other things, right? Right, right. And I think you made a reference to it. Um, I, I have a lot of people uh, as clients who make a lot of money, mm-hmm. uh, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year, some of them over a million dollars a year. And you know what? The people at the higher end, don't have any better money skills than the people who make less money. That's interesting. They're not good at managing money. They're good at making money. <laughs> That's interesting. And, wow. And if they have a little bit of wisdom, they're going to find someone, hopefully someone like me, who has some skills but also has has care and wants to put the client first. They're going to find someone to 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 um, to offload that burden. Of, of managing their system. Maybe it's a family office if they're a larger. Well, Joe, uh, yeah, Joe, that brings up a question, Joe. Where do you think, because I'm sure you've seen it time and time again, there seems to be some human intrinsic thing in us that the more we make, the more we want to spend. Right. Right. Where, where do you, what is that? Is that part of just us being human? Is it part of our, our makeup? To want to do that? That's, that's um, uh, funny you should mention that because there's a great book, and Nelson Ma- Nelson Nash mentions this principle in his book. It's called Parkinson's Law. Hmm. And there was literally a book um, written called Parkinson's Law. And Parkinson's Law says that a luxury once enjoyed becomes a necessity. Ah. Right? So, so, so think about that. Uh, when I was a kid, I was able to walk to school. Yep. For the first, for the first um, eight grades, mm-hmm. uh, and and I I didn't come to take public transportation to school until I was in high school. Okay. Okay. But um, most of the kids in my high school in Jersey City did not have cars, 
So now you're almost looked at as a freak if you don't have a car when you're 16 years old. That's true. Right? So that's, that's a luxury. And people have come to see it as a necessity. Oh, my kid's 15 and a half years old. They have to have a car. Well, what kind of car are you, are you going to help them get? Well, I'm not going to help them get a car. I'm going to get them the same kind of car I drive because I drive a BMW. So why shouldn't my child drive a BMW? After all, yeah, they're they're in my family, and I think they should have the same um, the same luxuries that I have. Well, you know, think about other uh, other types of entertainment or uh, the tools that we use. All right, I mean, everybody needs a phone, don't they? Right. Well, no. Not really. <laughs> there, there are people in this world who still get along without a phone. That's right. I'm not even talking about an iPhone or a mobile phone. I'm talking about a phone in their house. I have a friend whose mom has never owned a phone. Wow, never. And, she, and she's around 80 because she says, you know, my sister has a phone and she only lives about a mile down the road from me. <laughs> So if I need to make a phone call, I'll just go to her house. I'll just walk out, just go right. down there and use her phone. Hey, that's right. great. That's so great. A luxury once enjoyed becomes a necessity. Now we can't live without it. Right. Right. And num- number two, um, work expands to meet the time allotted. So if I give you a job to do and I say, I need, need you to have it done in the next three days, you'll have it done at the end of the third day. But if I give you 10 days to get it done, you'll get it done at the end of the, the, the last, the 10th day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the third, the third part of, of Parkinson's law is that expenses always rise to meet income. So when I was a kid, I said, you know, if I could only get to $50,000 a year, I will be a king. Mm-hmm. Well, We've we've way surpassed that, uh-huh. but and as soon as we find additional ways to, to build our income, we find additional ways to spend it. Right, right, right. Yeah. So um, that's Parkinson's law, and and it it may be more prevalent in the U.S. than it might be in a third world country. Right. You know, we support some missionaries in Zambia. And the folks in Zambia will tra- will travel by foot, three and four and five hours one way, to go to a church service on Sunday. Wow! And then they'll spend all day four, five, six, ten hours at the church service, and then they'll walk back four or five hours on foot, you know, through rivers and streams, and 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 you know, past crocodiles and whatever they have to do. I mean, but that's. That's their life. That's where they live. That's how they live. Right. And they're happy and they never stop smiling. Right. When we they're, they're happy to walk to the church service. They're happy to do it. Yeah. See, isn't that amazing? So it's a strange mindset uh, that we have here. That's, and, now, and now in this country, and, and you know, we'll, we'll turn some people off by my saying this, and it's okay, because I, I only want to work with people who have some regard or some respect or appreciation for where my bias is because my bias is going to help um, direct the wealth path of my clients. Right. And and so what I was about to say was now we have some people who would rather sit home and collect unemployment. Yeah. Especially because it's so uh, so enriched by the federal government. So now we have state benefits and we have federal government, government benefits. And we say, well, 
if I can't go to work and make at least, you know, 50% more than I'm making by sitting at home, I don't want to go to work. But see, the problem is there is value in work. And, and there's value in going out and earning the money. And when you go out and earn the money, it's not just given to you. Then you're going to be more careful about preserving it yeah. and, and saving it, uh, protecting it, maybe growing it in some way, shape, or form. And then you're going to be more interested in teaching your kids how to, how to grow money uh, through honest work. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. Uh, you know, uh, the thing that I see a lot is uh, – is that people, I think, don't, either they don't know how to find their their passion or what it is that they're really good at or what it is that they really want to do, or there's some sort of intrinsic fear in really going after that. Um, so it's just, uh, you know, I'll just kind of settle for doing this. Um, and And... I don't know if that's part of being human either, or I don't know if that's part of just, uh, you know, I don't know what it is that separates someone that just says, I'm not going to let no stop me. I'm not going to let someone saying you can't do that stop me. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do it, be successful at it versus the one that just, uh, I can't try that. It's, it's too hard. What if I fail? You know, it's interesting. Right. That right. concept. What if you what if you succeed at the wrong thing? Yeah. You know, what if you have this fantastic gift to be an eye surgeon? Several years ago, uh, one of the top eye surgeons literally on the planet, a doctor named Charles Weber up, up near Salt Lake City, saved my daughter's eyesight. Mm. And hmm. He was 38 years old when he operated on my daughter's eyes. Hmm. 38 I mean, he had a, a goal and a vision to become um, a, a practiced, diligent, experienced, excellent doctor. And he, he doesn't just, you know, replace eyeglasses for people. He saves people's eyesight. Wow. I mean, if you have a gift and you're not going to know whether you have a gift unless you start testing yourself. That's right. And, and the first way to start testing yourself is get away from the herd. <laughs> so, so one of the things that, that one of the many, many things that Nelson taught me was that the majority has never been right about anything. Mm. Imagine such a bold, blatant, um, absolute statement. The majority has never been right about anything. So if you see so, a group of people walking down the street and they turn left, you go right. <laughs> It does, and it doesn't matter why, because most likely they'll be wrong, right? Yeah. And we, we see this in markets. Okay. Uh, we see this in the economy. Um, we see this in employment. Uh, people will take a job because their buddy took the job. People will, yeah. will, this is great. People will make 401k choices because their buddy made those choices. Well, why did you choose that um, 2030 uh, age-dated uh, mutual fund? Well, you know, I work in this shop, in this metal shop, and that seems to be the choices that most of my buddies made. Well, how about if you would pick up the prospectus and read that thing? Well, you know, it's really fine print. Right. And I don't understand most of the words. That's why we have Google. You look them up. Right. right? Due um, diligence. But due diligence, and that, that should be... That should be used in, in every aspect of life. 
So the very first thing that I that I talk about with with a prospective client is, listen, if you're interested in learning about economics and how it affects your life, I will load you up with with titles of books. I'll send you a bunch of ebooks. I'll refer you to websites. We'll talk about concepts. I'll show you based on the data how money actually works and how and how money flows through banks, for example. Right. Most people aren't aware of it. Right, that's correct. A lot of people would, would guess that banks take our money and invest it in the stock market. Nothing could be further from the truth. Wow. Yeah, so it's, you're really, you're really trying to educate people, first and foremost, yes. so yes. that they can make informed decisions. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, uh, you probably get asked this a lot, what's your feeling about cryptocurrencies? <laughs> That's a great question. It's a loaded question. <laughs> um, there was there was something called uh, the, the the tulip mania bubble that I have I think happened in the uh, in the mid nineties, and and tulips were going for thousands of dollars a piece because somebody decided that they were worth it. Mm. And of course, the bubble burst, and those investments became worthless. And and crypto may turn out to be exactly like that, or it may turn out to be the next currency of the of the entire planet. Okay. And we're not going to know <laughs> until 50 years from now. We just don't know yet. Right. So, you know, I have some colleagues uh, who, are, who are specialists in crypto, and there's no crystal ball. They can't tell you whether you'll make money in the next 20 years because you invested there or, or you used it as a currency. Uh, some people are using it as a currency. A lot of people have already made millions by investing in it already. Right, right. right? It, it, it doesn't tell us that, that it's going to continue, but the very first thing I would say is you need to do your due diligence yeah. and you need to get some opinions from uh, people who have nothing to gain by educating you. Okay. Right, so yeah. there isn't a, there isn't a market, quote unquote, for crypto, right? It's 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 something you buy directly. Okay. So, um, but I but here here I would say this. You want to have all of, all of your foundational pieces laid before you start investing in something that's speculative because crypto is speculative. Okay. And that may be. I'm glad you mentioned that because that may be one of the one of the most um, dangerous things that people do is they start investing in places where they don't have knowledge, they don't have experience, they don't have good background information, but they but they but they ignore the step of securing money in savings and emergency accounts mm. before they start investing. Okay, and some people might say, "Well, you know what? I am so far behind the eight ball." I'm not even going to put money in savings. I'm going to go directly to investments. <laughs> well, then you might wind up deep uh, digging yourself in a bigger, a bigger hole. Right. Because if you need, you know, $5,000 to put a new engine in your car next week because your car broke down, uh, you won't necessarily be able to liquidate that crypto because what if the market's down in crypto? Right. You, you need to have um, accounts that are easily liquid and accessible. Right. That's right. right? So you got to start with savings. Yep. 
You got to start with protection. Uh, protection first, actually. Protection, then saving, then growth. Okay. And, okay. and invest in things in which you have some background, some education. You have some, some uh, security or some comfort level in where you're going to invest. Maybe somebody who has no background in real estate doesn't want to invest in real estate. Right. 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 Maybe somebody who doesn't have six months worth of emergency fund doesn't want to buy a rental because what if that renter skips and now you're and now you've got a, a vacant rental for mm-hmm. the next six months. You've mm-hmm. got to have the money to back up that mortgage payment. Yep. So your all your financial moves should really be part of a, of an overall uh, financial um, outline or yeah. roadmap. Yeah, and based on based on individuals, you know, wants needs, you know, I don't, I want to stay away from that, you know, I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. So, uh, alphaomegawealth.com, Joe, that's your website, correct? Yes. And uh, you're actually in multiple states, is that correct? Right. We have advisors in about 10 states, okay. including uh, Florida, uh, Missouri, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Washington State, California, Nevada, um, Colorado, Texas. Okay. I think I, I think I caught all of them. That's okay. Fantastic. So people can get an, in touch with you through your website. It's probably the best place to go, right? Right. Um, right. And then if they, they forget the website. They can just go to JoePantosi.com and that'll take you there. Oh, well, there you go. There's another JoePantosi.com. <laughs> uh, I tell you, we could talk for hours and hours on this stuff. It really fascinates me. Uh, but I just want to say thank you so much for being here and uh, uh, give give a little piece of advice on the way out here to a, the younger generation. Let's say someone's just graduated from college, mm-hmm. starting a new career, uh, student loan debt, right? And just getting into just getting into life here. What's the right. advice? Right. Uh, this is going to be so boring <laughs> um, because I, I talk to a lot of young people, as, as you would imagine, and uh, their their typical tendency is to want to put off dealing with debt. They, they want to defer the college debt, and they want to defer savings because they know that they don't even have enough money to, to cover their present budget. Yeah. But but here's the problem. If you're in your 20s and you're just starting out, you have you have small earnings, so you have small savings, if any. And then when you're in your 30s, maybe you have a master's degree or some technical uh, competency, but you're still building your business. And maybe you're starting to get married and have kids. People are getting married a little bit later and having kids a little bit later. So people in their 30s are, are having kids. And some people even are having kids in their 40s. And they're saying, well, you know, I'm in my 40s and my kids are in middle school, they're in high school, and it's really not a good time to start saving now. I'm going to wait a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. I'll wait until I'm, I'm 50 years old and I have tenure as a professor <laughs> and my kids are out of high school or out of college. I'll start to really hit it hard for retirement when I'm 58 years old. <laughs> you, you, you see where I'm going? Yep. <laughs> and, so, and so what happens is, we can talk to our young people and say, God bless them with all due respect, look at your grandparents. What kind of a financial position are they in today? Maybe you should even go and interview 
your grandparents mm. and ask them their advice. And you know, I'll, I'll bet you that your grandparents would say, even if you have to start saving $2 a week, you need to start saving. And when I say save it, I mean, don't touch it for any reason for the next 20 years. Right. <laughs> Right. I mean, you have to put the financial pieces in place because if you don't start early and start the habit of saving, you will not benefit from it later. Because it's a habit, it, isn't it? It's a habit. It's absolutely a habit. And it's it's part of your culture. It's part of your lifestyle. It's part of what people do. Yep. That's fantastic. Wow. Joe, that's fantastic advice. I hope I hope people take your advice. I hope people contact you and uh, have you help them, help them achieve generational wealth like, like you're speaking of. Uh, Joe, thanks so much for, for talking with me. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. You have been listening to the Chic Compass Connection podcast. To learn more about Chic Compass magazine, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S.com. This is Jamie Hosmer. Thanks for listening.